0: phones are in then we are live yes we're <laughs> live cheers look what i have
1: to celebrate yeah oh my gosh is that cookies and cream yeah cookies yeah. and cream is near and dear to my heart i actually just dusted like my fourth jar the other day i like i'll get shipments of like three jars at a time within a week I'll, i'm down two jars already mm-hmm
2: have absolutely you tried that it Justin? no no uh, okay, but I mean, I, I will, I you know, just you know, just haven't thought about it. You right, haven't thought
1: that. about it. Let me tell you something. When you taste it, it's gonna be all you think about.
2: <laughs> now, like, like, explain to me again. How do you guys know about it?
1: So
0: I, I know, know about a about- By the way.
1: Yeah so we're 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 passing the love we we're sharing love here. Um so Brandon Foken is a friend of mine because I was called to the Titan Games season 2 combine and Brandon Foken was also there. So I met him on combine site and he was so gracious and so wonderful. Um and everyone was fantastic there. All the athletes could could be nothing but amazing. But um Brandon Fokin was there and he said, "Hey, like I want to send all you guys a care package." And we are like, okay, cool. Like this dude, this random dude is going to send us peanut butter. Great. And then we all, we, we talked to each other, all the Titans, like the ones that are competing, the ones that didn't, we talked to each other every single day, all day long. That's the, like, since, since we competed in December and, um, and literally like we all convened on this group chat. We were like, dude, the peanut butter though, it's so good. Um, and it's like. Uh, the the nuts about monster cookie is insane. It's so rich. It's like chunky and chocolate and like I mean decadent is the only way I can describe it. Um, that's my favorite one. Has to. Be, it's so good. Yeah. Um Cookies and cream is dope because it's like it's it's uh, like processed Oreos. It's like Oreo dust, but it's crispy. Like somehow he keeps it crispy in like the emollient of peanut butter oil. It's amazing.
3: Yo, I feel Absolutely. like I'm on Shark Tank right now. This is great. You know what I've been really into recently, guys? Check this out. They're called okay. bananas.
0: <laughs>
2: nice.
3: You can Hell find yeah. them most places. They're pretty uh cost effective too, and they taste great. You
0: Excellent. know, I f- I feel like it would be a really good flavor to do like cinnamon banana peanut butter or something like that, right?
1: You know, he, he's doing he's messing with cinnamon right now, so he's always creating new flavors, and he's doing yeah. like a cin- a whipped cinnamon honey situation or something. So you should bring banana to the table.
0: I suggested one that he's working on now, which is, uh, everything bagel. So I, cause whenever, like when I make, uh, if I have a snack in the afternoon with peanut butter, like regular crunchy, I'll put everything bagel seasoning on it or like, you know, onion powder and like all sorts of good stuff.
2: Right, right. Trader and Joe's. Trader Joe's.
0: Yeah. Trader Joe's. Everything but, but do the bagel edit-
2: seasoning. What's that? Everything but the bagel seasoning. But the but then bagel- I feel like you're stealing the Joe's thunder. Like that's. You know, what's next? The Umami one and then everything but the elote? Well, the, the,
0: the idea is wow. more so <laughs> to have the like the onion garlic flavor. Okay. Who remembers the movie Little Monsters with Ben Savage? Anybody? Oh, yeah. And yeah. Fred Ben and Fred Savage. Long time ago. Ooh. All right. So the, the, the thing there was that Fred Savage liked to eat peanut butter and onion sandwiches. Hmm. And when I was a kid I saw it, I was like, huh. <coughs> Interesting. <laughs> I tried it. <coughs> it's legit. Is it good? It's really good, especially if you like, if you like, have um, sauteed or grilled <laughs> onions that you can put on crunchy peanut butter. Jordan's looking at me like I'm crazy, but I don't give a fuck. Well, it's well, delicious. well
3: real quick, real quick. Uh, one, you haven't introduced our guest. Two, she might be <laughs> dying right now. <coughs> <Yeah>. Okay.
1: <clears throat> I tried to inhale and drink at the same time. And fun fact you can't do that. I just found out. So, yeah. Well, the, nice, whole point,
3: the whole point of this podcast is to provide value to our listeners, and uh, I think that may be the first bit
0: of value we've provided thus far. <laughs> yes, the thing don't
1: drink. the was pretty valuable. I'm not going to lie.
0: <laughs> yeah, there you go. So you're saying the value is don't drink and inhale at the same time.
1: Exactly. Like, the trachea and the esophagus are separated for a reason, <laughs> and so, don't try to combine
0: them. And we're going to talk about how you know a lot about these topics. Uh but sorry, right, so let me do the introduction. So uh everybody, this is Leah Elson. She um she is a uh as you as we talked about before. Well, you did the Titan Games.
1: I did the whoever. Titan. Well, I it was at the Combine. I didn't go to the Titan Games. Um I'm still salty about it, but it's okay. <laughs> I you was can, called to the Combine.
0: Do you consider yourself a power lifter?
1: Uh I do now. Yeah. Um I do. Cause okay. I'm not I'm not a USPA athlete officially. Um, and I'm, I'm in training. So wait, what is the Titan <laughs> yeah. Games?
2: The one that <laughs> Rock hosted. Wow, oh, it's, uh, a, it's a TV show. NBC, NBC, yeah. right? The Rock hosted. Yep, yep. Catch oh, up. My man. That, that blue, <laughs> that blue getup.
1: Yeah, so was, it's a, It's kind of like um, if you if you haven't seen it, it's a little bit like American Gladiators used to be, except it's a little bit more intense. And the whole premise was that. It was The Rocks, and this is a true story, like, this is not something that I'm making up, even though most of my stories sound like it. Uh, so The Rock, actually, uh, he's very intimately involved in the production. It's his production company, um, and the the actual, like, tests that he puts the athletes through are inceptions from him from when he's drunk. He literally mm. pens up these challenges while he's drinking. He, he's a huge tequila drinker, and uh, and it's, like, these drunk inceptions that he he brings to engineers, and then they engineer these, like, tremendously large, and I think... <clears throat> i don't know if the second season was because they changed venues and they changed the course completely but the first season was like uh the holds the world record for the largest indoor uh like a challenge thing obstacle um,
2: course kind of yeah. thing
1: yeah exactly obstacle thank you <laughs> that's the word sure i was looking for obstacle course so um so yeah so it's it's really interesting and and uh it was it was cool
3: well, I guess as the resident pro wrestling expert, I should have known that. But I will say that I watched my first episode of America's Got Talent uh, finally
2: last week.
0: Excellent, huh?
2: So
3: that's yeah. where I'm. That's is where Is that on now?
1: Is that it, on
2: TV, guys? Yeah, it's currently new season. I get. I don't know. Okay, <laughs> uh, yeah. just, just asking. Just just making sure in case we're supposed to be watching it with you.
3: I got this cowbell, though. This is a first for this episode. You All right, got let me to I
2: gotta, I gotta I keep going, keep on going Matt, the and then, then I have more peanut butter questions. All
0: right, we'll, we'll talk about peanut butter. Okay. <laughs> so, Leah, you are a, uh, a scholar, right, to say the least.
1: So I'm a
0: scholar. You, your background is in um, science and medicine and biotech, if that's correct. Um, specifically, you've done stuff in orthopedic research. And then currently you're conducting research for oncology. Correct. And USC and Harvard, and where was your undergrad?
1: So <clears throat> my undergrad spans uh, Harvard as well as San Diego State. So I started out my entire, um, I guess, like soiree in medicine wasn't like the first thing I did. I actually started sports casting when I was in my like 19, 20. Um, And I was working for an NFL developmental league and I sportscasted for the um, arena football team in San Diego. And I was like, you know, I'd always been like a science geek and uh, always loved. I was kind of a passion of mine, but because I was an athlete um, and I'm a ham in front of the camera, it was kind of a natural transition. It was like, oh, it's expected. She's going to be a sportscaster. Um, and so my dad got really sick. He he has cancer and a battery of other things, but I was on the sidelines one night and, um, they, they got these, like, hot incandescent lights in your face and they're counting me down and my production guy is in my ear and he's like three, two, one. And like the camera flips on, I'm standing there and you can see the moment where my eyes kind of glaze over, but I keep going kind of on autopilot. And I remember thinking like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Like, this is so philosophically bankrupt. I'm like watching my dad get like resected and like having cancer removed from him every week and undergoing treatment and all this. And I'm like, I can be doing something so much better. So the week thereafter, I quit. Um, and I actually had a, an offer from some people at the NFL network and they were like, we've been following you. Like, we'd like you to like potentially come up and like say, what's up? And I, I said, no. And I, I blacked out and I went and did a bunch of soul searching and I kind of rediscovered science. And then that's when I was kind of late in my college career. And I was like, I want to pursue science and medicine. I want to do research. I want to do something impactful um, because I was never the little girl that grew up thinking like, oh my God, I can't wait to get married and have babies. I was like, I can't wait to win a Nobel prize and dig up dinosaur bones and like be that girl, um, so I kind of re tapped into that, and then um, graduated with my non traditional science major, and then went to Harvard to fulfill all of my prerequisites for medical school. So I did at Harvard organic chemistry, physics, biology, regular chemistry, um, biochem, and that's where I kind of started this trajectory. Was like literally in the frying pan at the, the big crimson house. So it was a got <laughs> it was it. A tough one years.
0: yeah. I mean, I imagine that's all of that. All that takes a lot of hard work and then also, I mean, a lot of balls to make that decision when you have a clear trajectory and, and seems like a really great opportunity and clear path to go, you know, to the NFL network and be potentially broadcasting for them um, and to, to say, fuck it, I'm going this other direction. That takes balls. But at the same time, it's what you knew you needed to do for your happiness, I would imagine. Um, and that's, that's a huge step. So right now, aside from the research you're doing, well, is that, is it combined job slash medical school or are you doing both at the same time? What's the,
1: both at the same time. So I, I'm, I'm on, on another paradigm shift kind of in my career and what I'm doing. So, um, the school is full time and that's USC and that's actually a secondary masters. I, um, took a step back from med school And I'm considering, and this is, I guess, kind of the first time I'm making it public, but I'm considering actually just continuing my career in research because I've now been embroiled in research full time and been very successful at it uh, for the last 10 years. And um, when I interviewed for medical school, every single interviewer that I spoke to was like, you have more publications than most of our faculty. Like, why are you getting an MD? And I was like, oh, you know, because... I want to help people. And, you know, that whole thing. And, um, as my dad's health kind of continues to get worse, I was like, you know, maybe like, I I think I went into med school being like, I'm going to be a surgeon and I'm going to work 120 hours a week. And I don't care because I'm going to make the maximal impact. And when you're kind of in it, you realize that, um, a lot of like power from physicians to make a change is, is being castrated slowly, um, kind of by industry and, and things like that. So they don't have as much sway and they don't have as, as much power to impact patient lives as they used to. And um, and I love research. I love being a cowboy. I love being like, that's a problem. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to develop something. Um, And I, I feel like as a physician, I I'm, can change like a few people's day uh, at a time, you know, like people come and see me and I can impact 12 people a day. But from a research standpoint, being in medical research and continuing in that trajectory, but just going a different route and going more upstream medicine rather than patient care... Um, if I develop something that's groundbreaking, I can af- potentially affect hundreds of thousands of lives. Um, and that's huge to me. I, that, that's my thing is I want to come in and make the maximal impact. So right now I'm actually um, considering transitioning into a PhD um, and just taking like all of my years that I have behind me. And it would be kind of a truncated PhD course because of that. Um, and just uh, I'm, I'm actually looking at nanotech currently and and going that route. So
3: amazing yo i have so many questions uh, especially about like the, the, your backstory but uh while we're here in it i'm curious what do you think uh, it is about you uh that separates you from everyone else as to why you have so much more published research
1: um <laughs> I was about to get real dark <laughs> no i uh so i i have like this it's it really is like a pathologic desire to excel Um, I grew up in a troubled home with um, I would say, to put it kindly, like a not supportive mother, um like a very anti-supportive mother that kind of was like, You're not gonna amount to anything for my entire life, and was kind of like that guy. Um, and so in order to move past that and the fact that I had an incredibly toxic, very like abusive household. Um, I turned to just pouring myself into my studies and trying to excel at everything I did because school at a young age was an escape route. You know, It was like, if I'm in student government and I'm a varsity athlete and I'm taking a billion college courses in high school, I don't have to be home and it's a way for me to get out. So I could have either kind of been a statistic and kind of you know, gone the route of like self-medication, or I could have like done a lot of bigger and better things. And um, for whatever reason, I think I was kind of like, you know what? I can break the cycle. I don't have to be this guy. I don't have to follow in these like toxic footsteps. So, um, for me, everything is like a hundred percent. I am a hundred percent into my work. I'm a hundred percent into school. I'm a hundred percent into athletics, um, and it culminates in these this large CV that I've established. Um, you know, and it's, it's not something that I'm like, Oh, like check out my, all my good shit on this CV. It's like 18 pages long. It's just something that happens. And I'm kind of like, and like onto the next project. And it's like a Rolodex, like it just keeps adding. Um, so it really was kind of a compensatory mechanism. Like if I was successful, I had an escape route. I could leave, you know, so. And it stuck with me. And and it really is like something that I should probably like talk to someone about because I have like a million degrees now and like, you know, a ton of student debt. So, you know, it has its perks and it has its downfalls. Definitely.
2: I'm with Jordan. I have a lot of questions as well, but uh, you just said something that I want to point out a couple of things. So uh, a serial student, right? Uh, I'm curious if you do switch from the MD to the PhD route, will you go the PhD route, get the PhD and then move on? Or are we thinking like, well, oh, and then in the pipeline, there's something else. The other question is, you said that I go 100% this, 100% that, 100% this. But how, right, can someone give 100% to all of these different passions that you're trying to um, chase, right? Oh. Uh, and I see that you've got a lot on your plate. So, so I'm curious, something I think this would help uh, Jordan and I, maybe Matt as well. Can you kind of take us through like a day or even a week of how you balance all of these interests? Sure,
1: sure. So I'll take you through a day schedule um, because it's, my days are very similar insofar as like kind of the cadence of what I'm doing. So I usually wake up around 6am and everything for me uh, is about time management. So from getting ready in the morning to, you know, lifting to whatever, everything is layered. So I'm never just like, only brushing my teeth. I'm brushing my teeth while I'm listening to lecture or I'm brushing my teeth while I'm cooking dinner or I'm showering like while I'm, you know, making eggs in the morning. So it's like all this prep goes in to kind of streamline my time. Wow. You
0: <laughs> shower and make eggs at the same time. Yes. That's fucking amazing. That's
2: what I was thinking. So like you have a hot pot or like a, like a single burner in the shower.
1: So not in the shower. I haven't got, I haven't become that efficient yet, but soon. <laughs> no, I, I'll like throw okay. on like on the stove, like low eggs and then just, you Listen, you guys get it. All right. You guys get it. I'm not that weird. I'm probably I'm that weird. Joking. though. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm probably that weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to
2: try, you know, that trick where someone like drives, and they put the egg on the battery, the battery, I think. Right. And like or the engine and, or the engine, maybe. And it cooks it while you're driving. You get a hard boiled egg.
1: I would
0: believe that. I would okay. believe that that's possible. Anyway. Okay. So, um, keep going. so we got to breakfast oh. <laughs> and showers <laughs> and lectures.
1: I have, I have dogs too, you know, so, so everything is layered to kind of streamline. I don't d- just have like blocks of time. There's all kinds of things going on. So, um, you know, six to, I guess like eight 30, I'm here I, and I make breakfast. I prep all my meals for the day. Um, you know, I get everything ready. I get myself ready. I pack gym stuff, head out the door. I'm at work from usually like nine to five and I actually, and in charge of running the investigator-initiated research at the oncology clinic um, or the cancer center at large at Cleveland Clinic down here. Um, so I'm managing like a ton of projects. I have my own research I'm conducting. I'm a co-investigator for a bunch of physicians research. Um, I work with like radio uh, radio oncology. I work with hematology oncology. I work with like a breast and lung and like all kinds of different cancers. Um, so, so I do that until five and then I dip out I'll be driving. Sometimes I'll continue listening to lecture and then I'll go to the gym for like two hours. Usually it takes me to get through one of my workout sessions. And then that puts me home at about 7.30 or 8. And then I shower, uh, make dinner, I play with the dogs, and then I study until usually like around midnight if I'm feeling really ambitious. And then I get up the next day and I do it all again.
0: So I got a, I got a couple questions with that. First off, do you have a dog walker during the day? No. Or can you come home? Are they good? So
1: I, <clears throat> they're good for like... I, I never want to push it because I feel like that's rude, um, but I usually come home, and like when I play with them, I have a big field across the street, so I'm like, just go run and be free and get your whittles out because they're pit bulls, so they have a lot of energy. Sure. Um, so so I, I try not to leave them for longer than like a 10-hour stretch, and then I come home, and I take them out, and they're good to go. Like They just sleep all day. Um, and then they play, I let them play for like half an hour. Usually like if I'm feeling not too like mentally fatigued from work, I'll again, listen to lecture or something. So I kind of try to like fit that in where I can. Um, and, and then we, we do the damn thing. And then I play with them all, all weekend. <laughs> That's
0: awesome. Yeah. Don't let my wife listen to this podcast. Cause then she's going to start saying, we need to leave the house for 10 hours at a time. Cause I'm <laughs> like the, I'm like the six to seven max sure. guy. Sure. Uh, and I know, and that's, that's the thing. Whenever we are out later, we get home, they're fine. They're asleep. And I'm, I've been worrying like, Oh my God, it's been like seven hours. They're going to, they're, they're like destroying the house and they shit everywhere. They're fine. (laughs) They like barely go to the bathroom. But anyway, um, what about when you have, okay, well, this is a two part question. One, um, what if, you get thrown, you know, a, 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 you know, out of left field, something comes in, you know, to the wheel and, and you're spiked and you can't do what you plan on doing. Your day is thrown off. Or what happens if you have a bad day? What happens if you, if in one thing that you're doing early in the day doesn't go well, how does it affect the rest of your day?
1: So honestly, uh, despite the fact that the schedule is so regimented, I am the least like high maintenance individual ever so i don't plan everything down to like an obsessive level um and i'm i'm recklessly spontaneous so if i'm like okay, wow, I got a flat tire. I couldn't actually, this happened to me, like my, my, um, I lost a cam sensor on my engine and so my engine shut down. And so my entire day at work was rerouted. Um, and I lost like hours of that day of work. So, I mean, I have the capacity to work remotely. So I, by by the time I got home, I had lost like maybe three or four hours, but I just sit there and I just crank away and I make the best of it. Um, you know, I, have I, Everything that I've gone through, I think, has positioned me to do really well under stress because of, like, the the toxic household and my dad's health and ABCD, like, relationships falling apart, whatever. And so I just roll with the punches now. You know, I recognize that I'm human and that there's only so much I can do. So some days I'm like, you know what? I don't want to study tonight. I don't care. Like, am I going to have to make up for it and, like, kill myself the next day? Yeah, but it's worth it to me for my own mental health, so.
0: Got it. Yeah, that, that's what I wanted to know. I mean, Because there are, I think, a lot of people who put an insane amount of pressure on themselves. And on top of that, if things don't go well, they beat themselves up. They're hard on themselves about it. Um, and that's something that we talk about all the time. is like being kind to yourself, not, not holding grudges with yourself. If things don't go to plan all the time. Um, but what's great to hear is that, you know, you, you being such an ambitious person doing so much in a day at the same time, you allow yourself to have that, personal space from your mind or from your schedule if you need to. Uh, And I think that's an important takeaway.
1: Well, and the nice thing too, is like I said, I'm a multitasker, right? So the gym, right? That's a two hour block of time where I'm like, okay, well I'm competing. I got to go train, but that's also my mental me time. You know what I mean? So um, that is a multitask in and of itself because yes, I'm training to an end, but by the same token, it's also kind of my freedom. It's like in between, um, being at an academic center and working in my capacity as a scientist and like getting run through the ringer and running stats and doing all these analyses all day and what have you. That's like my break before I then have to go hit the books and be a student. So it's, it's my downtime. And um, that's why multitasking is so important. Like find what you do and capitalize on it you know what i mean um and and utilize it to kind of like propel you forward and and i always try to, to schedule time off like i'll try to schedule a weekend off if i can so i'll work really hard that week and i will bust my ass and be up until like two or three in the morning for days at a time to be like it's gonna be worth it i'll have a whole weekend off i just gotta get this in you know and um so it takes it takes a d- despite being spontaneous it does take a, a level of forethought and you have to plan me time otherwise you will struggle hard so
3: the- Talking about planning like a weekend off, that's where my mind was going. I'm curious, like, what is relaxation like for you? Is it hard to kind of let go of productivity in a sense and just be?
1: So it's always uh, usually like post-exam, right? Because you, especially like when I was embroiled in med school, the... The level of studying and uh, retention that you're expected to do is unlike anything I've ever done in my life. And I've always worked full-time and been a full-time student. And I was like, <laughs> like I'm going to be a student for once only. is going to be great. And then I got there and I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> this is crazy. Like They're like one class like on anatomy. They're like, okay, cool. Here's your handout. I was like, dope. For the semester, pfft, I got this. They're like, nah, bro, you got two weeks to memorize this. Oh, P.S., you have seven other classes and you also have exams at the same time for them. So it's insane. Um. So usually, like, post-exam, you 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 don't have to study for anything. Like, you have a midterm block, and then you're kind of like, what do I do with my time? Like, why, why am I sitting here idly? And you feel weird. Like, you feel compelled to do something, but you have to be like, no, 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 no. Like, you're good. You don't need to do anything. Just right. take a breath. Um, so, like, this last weekend, I took the weekend off. And, um, there's no guilt associated with it. And my R and R is very much rest and relaxation because all I do is go, 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 go. So I'm like, I'm, I just want to lay around. I want to be like, I want to be moss on a rock <laughs> and I just want to sit there. Um, but if I'm planning a vacate, I'm also super active. So I rock climb, I backpack, I surf, I skateboard. Um, so if I go away somewhere, I'm like, no, like we're going to schedule into the trip. Like I'm going to go climb those rocks that day. I'm going to go do this, you know, what have you. So.
0: Does, uh, I would imagine being able to sort of compartmentalize forces you to be in the present, right. On that, either when you're working or on a weekend or when you take time off, but do you ever feel the pull of one or the other? You know, like, are you, are you on a weekend off and you're thinking about, fuck, like, I know I have this or, and maybe it's not fuck. Maybe it's like, I'm excited. Maybe it's, it's like, oh, I, I like have this thing that I just realized that I'm going to apply to my work on Monday. But do you ever find yourself in those moments, and do you allow them to sort of consume, or do you continue to compartmentalize to stay in the present? If that makes sense.
1: Oh no, it makes total sense. I think it really depends on the nature of what it is that like pops into my mind. I'm very good about being uh, present. I'm very like uh, surprisingly, despite like the generation, I'm I'm very like anti social media. I have considered so many times deleting my Instagram. But my followers are so loyal and they're like, we love 60 seconds of science. We love your content. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, and like I have teachers reach out to me and I've lectured to like junior high students and like been able to excite kids on science. And so I'm like, okay, like I'll I'll keep going. But I'm very much like you won't see me like out like at a concert. Like I don't have my phone on me but because I'm filming, but you won't see me like doing this. You know what I mean? So I try to remain there and I try to kind of like absorb as much joy and feeling and like okay i need to remember this and like feed off of this when i'm getting stressed out um but sometimes you know like because my position running that aspect of the science at the cancer center requires that i take calls on the weekend you know or requires that one of the research fellows that works under me will be like oh my god hey i can't turn in this thing i haven't submitted my manuscript yet i need your help and it's like sunday night um, so, you know, I, I try very hard, but obviously like, if there's something that comes up or something that excites me, or I see a headline or people always send me science, they'll be like, Hey, did you know about this? And I'm like, that's exciting. And, and I'll look into it, but I try as hard as I can to kind of remain like in my little bracketed, like this is rest time, you know, because
0: mm-hmm.
1: otherwise like, where is the, it becomes like this big undulating, like work rest period. I feel like if you have very like structured, like this is for this time, this is allotted for this, it, it kind of helps <clears throat> with mental health. I think.
3: So with with social media, that kind of leads me to one of the first questions I had as I started learning about you and your story. Um, Look, it makes sense that you have this background in broadcasting, because when I first uh, checked out your Instagram, I'm like, okay, this is a fucking professional. She knows (laughs) how to present. Uh, She's articulate as hell. Uh, She has personality. Um, You are a professional um, public persona, for lack of a better term. And so uh, one, I'm curious where you cultivated those skills. And then two, this isn't so much a question but maybe just a a comment to Lob and take it as you will. Um, I think you are so important, especially in the field of um, science and medicine uh, because most people in these fields uh, do not know how to communicate to the public and are boring as hell. Um, I'm a licensed psychotherapist Uh, and I'm, you know, barely in, you know, in in my mid thirties and I've done keynotes at, 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 state psychology conferences to people that have been practicing for us twice as long as I've been alive. And I know it's just because like, I'm comfortable, like holding the microphone and, 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 and owning a space. And, uh, it, it, it almost pains me to be like, man. When I look around at my cohort of people, like, why am I the only one willing to say something? Why am I the only one, like, willing to have the audacity to, like, raise my hand and be like, uh, this is my perspective? So I love that you kind of marry these, these two uh, interests and, and skill sets for yourself. Uh, and I think your broadcasting background is going to be uh, the thing that, like, sets your shit on fire. <laughs> where, do, where, where did that come from?
1: Um, You know, I wish I could say that like it was cultivated in some kind of like structured way, but it was kind of organic. I've always been a ham. Um, I'm very much like my dad. My dad has this personality that enters the room before he does. And if you were to like hear the jokes that my dad and I make, it's identical. Like literally I am like a little like butted off piece of my father Um, and his dad before, you know, he was like that, like huge, tremendous personality that like overshadows everything. Um, and so I think for me being in front of camera was just natural. I was never like a drama geek or anything like that. Um, or I, I wasn't like in necessarily like journalism classes, but it was just something natural. You know, I'm comfortable in my own skin. Um, I was a dork growing up, you know, I had headgear and like all that fun stuff. And so I kind of learned to just like laugh with everyone else at myself and um so you know, when you have that kind of confidence, being in front of a camera and an audience doesn't shake you. Like I've presented my research internationally um and been in front of like all of these old white-haired esteemed surgeons, et cetera. And um it's fine. You know, I'll get up there and I'll like flash, you know, like Christy Brinkley and her heyday on the screen, on my slides, and I'll and I'll hear people laugh and I'm like, oh, I, you guys are paying attention? Great, okay. Um so Yeah. And, and that's why I kind of started the, the 60 seconds of science thing is, is it's kind of a marriage of those two fields. And, um, and it started out, I was just doing live chemistry, like dangerous chemistry experiments on Facebook live. Like for my friends, I have to, I still have a private profile on Facebook and my friends were like, Oh my God, you're like the new Bill Nye. And I would like use molten potassium chlorate and like a butane torch. And I would explode gummy bears on camera. And I would like put Christmas lights in the microwave and I would explain everything like as I as the phenomenon would occur I'd be like this is what's going on like live for all my friends just because it's funny and um everyone was like you should do this like you should make a YouTube channel but as you guys now know my schedule's so crazy I don't have time to sit down and edit a YouTube video and like go through God only knows how much um film like raw film and like cut it down and make it cute and have an intro and you know manage a channel so I was like you know what I'm going to do 60 seconds of science. And I started a public Instagram page just to do science interface um, because it is important. And I feel like these days we commodify people like the Kardashians and I'm like, we should be commodifying people like Niels Bohr and like all of these scientists, you know? And, um, and so it's, it's my little desperate attempt to try to make a mark in the, <clears throat> of the science and to try to perpetuate that.
2: There's that guy and I've, I've no idea what his name is, <laughs> but I, I remember, um, I remember seeing him. He's on YouTube. He's a great channel. It's all very science-based and he kind of breaks on all these, uh, uh, these, these concepts. Like if you go to the carnival, maybe you guys have seen this one, um, ha- why you can't win any of the games. He just breaks down all the science of it. Right. And and the thing with that is that it, it resonates so much with every demo. Right. And I feel like what you were doing, exploding gummy bears and putting things into a microwave. I mean, like, if you think is uh, when I was, when I was young, in high school and I took these science courses, they made no sense. And and I struggled so much and, and I would like tell my mom, who's Jordan's mom as well, don't come pick me up till like seven o'clock at night. I'm gonna go to tutoring for the next four hours because I have no idea what I'm doing. So then as an adult, when when I had uh, an inkling of passion to get into the science field, I was scared shitless. I was like, well, I sucked at it as a kid because no one made it relatable. It was always so stock. And then even at university level, when I took these science courses, the nice thing was, was every experiment was was like rehashed. It was like, oh, I can look this up on YouTube because someone else is going to do the, the exact same one because everyone's doing it. Of course. Uh, I wish you had more time and I'm not putting <laughs> this on your plate, but the fact that it, it, it's so warm and inviting that, that you take something and you can explain it, but it's also really engaging and inviting to, to, to everyone. We need more of that. We definitely need more of that. You know, I, I want more people to be set ablaze to follow in your footsteps, right? That wanna go out and wanna set the world on fire and, and change the world by doing research. And I feel like we need more people that are making it, uh, just showcasing it in a light that actually gets them like fucking going. It gets them kicked in and inspired. And it makes you go like, oh, now this makes sense because it wasn't just this like cookie cutter, you know, just just uh, the stuff that we've, that we've seen a million times in the lab, right? It's That's something hard. different.
0: Even yeah. Before- Go back. And I was just gonna say brief, just to, to tag on the end of that. I think the way that you do the sixty seconds of science videos with so much energy, speaking fast, as we talked about the auctioneer thing. Um, <laughs> but 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 there's there's actually I, I think there's a, a really uh, cool little sidebar to that, which is it makes people have to watch it more than once to pick up everything. Now that and I think that's a good thing. It's entertaining, um, it's engaging, but you want to watch more than once because you want to get all of the information that's being thrown at you within 60 seconds. Um and I know that for me it's like, okay, heard that part. I gotta go up, gotta watch it again, go back, go back, go back. But by the end of it, I I have now, you know, taken in all this knowledge because of the the way that you're presenting it to me. Um and, and it's not like it, it, the, the opposite of that would be so boring and slow where you would lose me in the first 10 seconds. And I wouldn't want to go back and watch any of it. Um, so whether you're doing that on purpose, um, or whether it's just a happy accident, I think that is part of the branding that makes it really, um, compelling and, and exciting for people to pay attention to it. And they're learning at the same time. That's as, as, as these guys said, that's a hard intersection to cross, Um, and if you can continue to do more of it, you, you definitely should.
1: Yeah. A lot of people have said like, Hey, I'll manage your page. Like I will edit the videos for you. Like this is content that needs to go out, but I've always kind of contested that idea because of exactly what you're saying. I'm like, no, because. The idea of it is 60 seconds of science. It's supposed to be rapid. It's supposed to be digestible um, for anyone to understand, but also because everyone's so busy. It's something that you can like listen to as you're like walking up the stairs to your office, you know, Um, and I always have... I, I want the content to always be dictated by my following, right? So everybody always votes on it. Every once in a while, I'll be like, okay, guys, like, here you go, open-ended, throw out what you want to learn. Um, and, and I am very blessed to have a very engaged following where I will get dozens and dozens and dozens of suggestions and, and then they kind of vote and, and everybody sees it. And, um, and I think the most difficult part of it is some of the topics that are requested are incredibly complex And in order to like understand the concept at large, you have to get into the nitty gritties So it's fun for me because I'm like, okay, I'm challenged as a scientist to communicate this in a way that's digestible um, and that's rapid, you know? So it's like, people want to know, like, how do vaccines work? And I'm like... (laughs) Well, I could give you an entire immunology course on how vaccines work, but I have to cut it down into, and it really ends up being 45 seconds of science because I have a consistent intro and I have a consistent outro and usually some stupid joke at the end. Um, so, you know, it, and that's the challenging and fun part for me. It's like, can I do this? That's a that's a little challenge, but it, it takes me just to do a 60 seconds. It depends on the topic, but I, it's not scripted. And I do it all in one take, right? So um, it's just me off the top of my head going. And if I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten to the end of a video and it's like the most complex fucking topic. And I get to the end and I'm like, so, <laughs> Can I, yeah. I got so many meltdowns on camera where I'm like, uh, <laughs> the worst. Um,
0: yep. so it'll
1: take me usually like anywhere from half an hour to an hour to just film 160 seconds.
0: I was just going to say, uh, just before I pass it right to these guys, are there topics that you get often or questions that you get often that you don't know about that are compelling enough to where you decide I'm going to dive in and research this because the way you are presenting, it requires you to be very familiar with it. Like you need to know this shit in order to spit it the way that you're doing. So how much of it is topics that are like easy for you to sort of ring off and versus, versus ones that are like, Oh, I don't know anything about this, but here we go.
1: I would say the split and it might be surprising to you if we're going from what I know to what I at least have like a basic foundation, but I need to actually do concerted research is probably 1090. Um, So, you know, like there's a few topics where like I didn't have to do any kind of digging and I'm just like, all right, here we go. Let's film and just throw it off the top of my head. But the things that are compelling to people are the weird things like a consistent one that I have, which is kind of like a default is I'll explain a medical anomaly. So I'll explain like sweating blood, I'll explain deflating eyeballs, you know, like things like that. And those are mechanisms where, you know, I understand like basic pathophysiology, but I want to go in and like go through PubMed and understand like what's the peer-reviewed literature. And and every single topic that I do, unless it's something that's just like incredibly well-known, I always cross-check with PubMed and I look for recent things. So sometimes I'll throw in like a but this study just recently came out, randomized control trial for whatever. And I'll like toss it in at the end because I I, I don't want to just like educate on the basics. I want people to be up to date and I want it to be accurate. And if there, obviously science and medicine is evolving constantly. So I want it to be caught up to what we know now. Um, So I do, there is, um, I mean, I've spent uh, on a couple of topics like hours um, and uh, somebody requested from me, You know, what is the ideal amount of protein to intake for a hypertrophy training athlete, like a power lifter? And I was like, all right, well, I mean, I can tell you what it is, but I don't know why. So let me look it up. And I spent hours researching from like the International Sports Nutrition Guidelines and, um, you know, what that like protein synthesis rate actually was for a person of average size versus an athlete um. So some of it, it's really interesting to me, and I love learning. I'm just like a sponge for learning. Um. So, so it's part of the it's part of the the pleasure of the process.
0: I, I have <laughs> one more question, just to just to tag one of that. Sorry, guys. I noticed um, one of the first ones that I saw was the one on um uh, muta- uh, mutations and pandemics. I think
1: mm-hmm. right.
0: Um. Was that something that was requested? Be I mean, I would imagine because of COVID. Um, But I mean, did you have a big influx of requests to talk about, you know, potential cures, potential treatments, uh, what the disease is doing, how to prevent, you know, getting it or or, or prevent a bad case? Did that stuff come in?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, The so the viral mutation one, the one that you saw um, was uh, that was just one that I wanted to do. I was like, I need to do a 60 seconds of science this week. And I think this is relevant. I think it's important. And it, it would help people understand what's going on, because what you saw was like mass panic, because the media really kind of took hold of the pandemic. And then everyone started panicking and then there was no more toilet paper and everyone was really confused. About it. Um, so I was like, you know what, let me just like explain what's going on, why it's called a pandemic. Like what, you know, cause if you, I feel like if you break down like the actual facts, it becomes less scary. Um, And so I did that of my own accord, but of course, like if there's anything that comes up in the news, um, you know, a lot of people will send me messages. A consistent one is like, do vaccines cause autism and, you know, things like that. Um, but yeah, a a bunch of, I had, it was, it was actually very dichotomous because some people would be like, yes, please post more COVID content. And then other people would be like, no more COVID. I'm saturated from the news. I don't want to hear about it. I come to you for a release. Please don't do it anymore. Um, so.
3: So you made one for sweating
1: blood. I did. Yeah. Oh, check that uh, out. (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's a lot of really random ones. Um, like the, the ossification of tissue where it's called stone man disease. Um, and, and all kinds of that's, that's like my default. Like if I can't think of anything or like people suggest stuff and, and I mean, to be honest, like, I do want to, I, I want to involve the followers as much as I can. And 95% of the time it's driven from them, but sometimes I'll see the suggestions and I'll be like, okay, that's a duplicate. That's a duplicate. And I just want to do something I want to do. So I'll be like, okay, today we're doing a medical anomaly. And it's a like, it's a crowd pleaser. Cause it's always weird stuff. And some, most of the time it's things people have never heard of. And the contents are like, or the comments are always like, Oh my God, this is so weird. This is so crazy. So those are always like a, a good one to go to. If I'm at a loss for what to, what to post.
3: I'm curious. Um- Since you have a following, since you clearly have such a successful skill set for communication, uh, do other professors or colleagues, like, consult you uh, uh, about this or or try to, like, uh, get you to play for their team? Like, hey, you'd be great to talk about what I'm working on.
1: Um, No one has. Okay, so... No one has like recruited me academically. Um, one of my research colleagues, I don't remember what the topic was specifically, but he was like, "Hey, I was writing a research manuscript and it happened to be like tangential with what you talked about on a post. So I actually like used one of your lines verbatim because it was like nicely worded. and so it's in his manuscript that's been published. Um, so people, you know like colleagues will always be like, oh, that was a really good one or whatever. But what I have been recruited for, um, and I can talk about this freely now because I didn't sign any contracts, but Early 2019, um, I got a uh, random message from a production company and A&E was making like a medical mysteries uh, show and they were like, we saw 60 seconds of science. This is sick. And what they wanted to do is basically crowdsource medicine for diagnoses that had yet to be made, like people that were struggling with things and they had gone to every specialist under the sun. And then they would basically write into this show on A&E and e would, um, they basically wanted to create like the Avengers of medicine and science. Um, so I was one of them that they positioned and I was like, I, I was interviewed multiple times and, um, they were like, okay, cool. Like we need some promo shots, whatever. And we did all this thing. And I, then I didn't hear from them anymore. And then I found out and I don't remember if it was TNT, but someone else picked up the show. Annie didn't pick it up. And it was a lady, like a specific lady. And I don't know if you guys have seen it. I'm sure it's Netflix, around, but it's on Netflix. is it on? Yeah, it's a lady. And so she like bankrolled it and she took the idea and that was supposed to be us. And it was crazy because we had like promo posters and everything. And she just bankrolled it. And so they're like, okay, you can have it. So that was, it was like, I don't know what they ended up calling it. It's like mystery diagnosis or something like that. Something like campy, but I was reached out to for that cold. Um, so people were like, yo, like you've got a skill set, we could use you. Um, and there was like, there, it was an interesting like compendium of people that they had assembled. So it was me. I was like my, um, I guess like archetypal character was like, you know, the young, like up and comer in, in research and medicine. And then there was um, a guy who was like a blind professor and like all of the science he had ever conducted, he was blind, and so he was like really good with like sight and and diagnosing based on like hearing and touching and whatever. Um, and there was there was like four or five of us, I think, and, and it was our job to basically like go to the table, see what we could find, um, try to collect as much like history as we could on the patient, and then crowdsource. Um, and it, it was really cool. I was really excited, and then it got picked up by a lady who has deep pockets. <laughs>
2: The show, for what it's worth, and I'm sorry that it didn't work out on your end. The show was absolutely incredible. I mean, my fiance and I, yeah, yeah, both both with science backgrounds, we watched it. uh, It 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 crushes you because you've got these people, of course, that that uh, they just want answers, right? They just want help. And to your point of of you know, hey, you're doing research and you can actually affect so many people on such a large level. When you're singled out and it's like you're the only case, right? you just want help. And, and of course, the more you get into these shows, it's kind of like watching the um, Dr. Pimple Popper. The more you yeah. watch, the more you start thinking like the dermatologist. And you start going like, oh, I know what's going to happen. So yeah. episode after episode, you start being a detective as well. And it starts, you know, really sharpening your skills as well. And all you, all, all you do is you sit there and you just root that all of these people from all over the world can try to come up with some kind of answer, some kind of response. And then you can deduce all that down, and then you can really take the funnel really, really granular and start saying, okay, these are the couple things that we think we should focus on. And I'm sure that's a big part of the work that you look at, right? you got to look at all the research, all the randomized controlled trials, right? Uh, You take all of them, all the meta-analysis, and you start to go, okay, how can we find some answers? So it's still very much for whatever it's worth. I have no idea what it's called, undiagnosed or something like that. It's cheesy. Yeah, I think that might be it. Right, go, everyone should go find it. Um, uh, I, I want to go back to something. You hit on three out of the four things that, that I think about often uh, nutrition, movement, figuring out a way to de stress. So, for you, that's going to the gym, you know, it's two hours of you just doing your thing, right? So, you've got two of those together. But sleep, I'm worried about your <laughs> sleep, right? You said, well, most of the time, like you might study a little bit more, and then 12 to 6. I'm curious, you do the research, if you've done any research, uh, in, in, at least in the circles that I follow, there's like this guy, Dr. Matthew Walker, plenty of other people that have been really big on sleep, uh, trying to shove this old adage of like, I'll sleep when I'm dead away from everyone's (laughs) thought process and saying like, you know, look, I, uh, seven to nine hours, you know, most people think eight and most people we know aren't getting eight from the research. Uh. But maybe some people even need more. And very few people have the, the genetic makeup that allows them to sleep like six, six and a half and get away with it and be a healthy human. So I'm just curious if you've, if you've done any research and if you think about like, man, like maybe I should sleep a little more sometimes so that I have more to give during the day. No,
1: of course, of course. So <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a huge proponent of sleep. And the, the good thing is that when I do sleep, it's not I think there's a difference, as you well know, I'm sure, because it sounds like you've done a lot of research on it there's a difference between like going down for eight hours and like having good sleep for eight hours, you know, cause you can lay in bed for eight hours and have trash sleep. That's not going to be effective by any means. Um, so I mean, I am a very deep sleeper. It takes me a little while to get to sleep, but because I'm so busy when I go down, like go down, like I am an ugly angel. My, My mouth is open. Like I wake up and God only knows what creatures have crawled into my mouth in the night. Um, but like, I am a big proponent of what I call the marathon sleep sesh. So through the week, you know, I try to keep it as close to eight as possible. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to grind, grind, grind. All right. I'm tired. It's 11. Let me take a shower seven hours. Okay, great. Six hours here. I'm starting to feel the fatigue. But like Friday night, it's me. It's a couple of melatonin gummies and I go out for like 14 hours. (laughs) So I go to bed early and I, I love sleep so much. And that's part of the reason, truth be told, why I'm like, okay, I might deviate out of med school and go upstream medicine because I'm not gonna have to take call at three in the morning. I'm not gonna have to do a residencies that are hundred plus hours a week, you know. And now that I'm in my mid thirties now, um, I'm and I'm not as much of a cowboy in that respect as I used to be. I used to be like, you know what? This is my legacy. I'm gonna go in there, be scalpel jockey, and I'm gonna do this forever. And I'm not gonna sleep because who needs sleep? I'm gonna be a badass. I'm gonna make a name for myself. Um, but now I'm like yeah, I kind of want to have a life, you know what I mean? So, um, and I love sleep and I, that was like the, one of the predominant worries in my mind was not like, oh man, am I going to lose patience? Am I going to see gory stuff? I was like, man, am I going to sleep enough? (laughs) So, uh, so sleep is huge. And, um, Obviously, as an athlete, we know that like a big part of like hypertrophy and like progressing in your training is sleep. You absolutely need that time to heal and for protein synthesis to kind of take over overnight um, for your brain to, you know, basically purge so you can be fresh academically as well. Um, So yeah, so marathon sleep sesh all day. I, I love it. Like my weekends are for sleeping. Absolutely.
2: Do you think if enough people looked at the research, they could, uh, we could have a paradigm shift that that all these people that when they're in residency, and if I'm not mistaken, I think a lot of it. Uh, came from Hopkins and like the original kind of like big four of Hopkins where it was like well they I think I think one of them ended up doing like some coke and as they did cocaine they could like stay up for hours on end so then you're like oh I can do these 36 I can pull 48s right and and, and look we, we see we see doctors and we see nurses all the time they work 12s some people then say like oh I've got to cover something so I'm going to do an extra four hours so I'm gonna do 16s some people some doctors in residency will, will pull 24s and we know that the the effects that it starts to change the brain chemistry where you almost kind of seemingly are, are drunk. Uh, and, and, and then we know that there, there's more mishaps in surgery and everything else that comes from it. Right. Uh, do you think now that you're thinking about this and you're out there, uh, you know, potentially changing the whole direction of what you're doing? Do you think that there, there are enough people out there that are having this conversation so we can start to have a paradigm shift? So, so doctors, uh, nurses, medical professionals can start actually taking better, uh, better, um, Care of themselves.
1: Sure, sure. So the dichotomy um, of what's happening right now is is that the the residency hours used to be capped at a 100 hours a week, which is brutal, right? Then. After all these studies came out where they actually chronicled the amount of like medical mishaps and like completely preventable mistakes, like, and not even like, oh, I accidentally gave, you know, Miss Johnson penicillin instead of amoxicillin. Like, I'm talking like intra surgical like mistakes happening that like killed people, you know, yeah, like you left dog, scalpel
2: person, like you, you it, know, suture them up with this with objects in them.
1: Exactly. You know, and you're like, why is there a bowling pin inside of Miss Anderson? You know, that's crazy. what is that even doing here? Um, so you know, so then they, they they broke that down to 80 hours. They're like, okay, cool. But we're still finding that like 80 hours a week is exhausting, especially when you're on your feet all day and what have you. And the interesting thing though, and, and this is why I say that it's dichotomous, is because in countries like in Scandinavia, they have their residency hours capped at 40 hours and they're cruising the good life, but that being said those residents when they come out are not as well trained because they're missing out on half the training in in that time period and that's kind of you know the the like give and take is that there's so much to know and and you don't um and and I don't know how how many people you guys may have spoken with this or not you don't learn medicine in, in medical school. You learn medicine in residency. You know, you get like a foundation of a bunch of science and they're like, this is the textbook. This is what happens in this disease pathology. And then you get to residency and that's not how it happens. And you have to completely learn medicine again. So those hours are so critical um for your knowledge base and your capacity to care for patients effectively um so cutting those hours down it's like the AMA and um the AMC like these governing bodies of training they're like i mean yeah like we get it you're low on sleep but like we all did it and like you need the hours you know um so there has to be like a happy medium somewhere. A lot of people think they're going to continue to truncate these hours down slowly, but surely. Um, and of course the old school docs are like, well, I had to do it. Like, why do these guys get to get off scot-free? You know? And so you have a lot of that. There's a lot of that in medicine where it's like dog eat dog. And like, you know what, baby? Like I did it. So like, you better stay up for 26 hours at a pop and like have a smile on your face and do my notes too, you know? Um. And it's like passing the buck. But at some point you got to stop. And And the also other problem is that right now, The nation is currently affected by a tremendous physician shortage. Um, I think we are currently at like a 90,000 physician shortage and it's it's getting worse every day because as the baby boomer population ages you need more doctors to to care for the chronic conditions that they come in with um so the aging population and also there's a brain drain in medicine because medicine is not compensating as much anymore it's more expensive so a lot of like what you would assume you're like oh you're gonna be a doctor you're gonna be rich you're like no i'm gonna be in a lot of debt um and if you're going into medicine for money like you're in the wrong field these days so you're you're getting like a lot of people that just aren't going into medicine anymore and it's just this kind of perfect storm um so yeah so insofar as hours it's like yeah you could cut them down but like are they going to be as good of physicians you know whatever you and you kind of need them on staff anyway because there's not a lot to go around like perfect example neurosurgery It's a nine-year residency, so we're talking between med school and residency alone, thirteen years of training. And there, because it's so tedious, like nobody wants to go that long. Because when you're a resident, you don't make any money. Like if you look at it like hourly, you make like fifty thousand a year or something. It's like twenty-five cents an hour. It's crazy. Um, so by the time you're done, you know, people don't want to wait that long to make money. So they don't, they don't go into it. So there's only like a handful of neurosurgeons usually per medical center, but then you have this huge influx of patients that come in and you're like, okay, cool. As a neurosurgeon, not only doing this like very complex surgery that is going to affect someone's life, but I have to decide, do I save the single mother of three or do I save the eight year old? Because I don't have enough time to do both today. So and it's 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 absolutely insane. Like that's that's kind of what the physician shortage has amounted to, more or less. So.
3: Oh, Matt, right, we can't
1: you. Hear, hear you, you my friend. There you go, Matthew. Hi. Yeah, you
0: guys got me. It's I do.
1: You're super Why? Oh
0: wow, weird. i Okay,
2: better now. No. No. <laughs>
3: Well, as Matt's figuring that out, I, I did write down the quote, Why is there a bowling pin in Miss Johnson?
1: <laughs> <laughs> in medical mishaps, too. <laughs> so was I. I'm like, listen, medical mishaps. Uh but things uh foreign, foreign bodies inside of people is a real thing. I've I've got stories from the ER um of things yeah. inside of rectums. That's always really fun. Um, you get a lot of that and the, the consistent excuse, I, I spent a lot of time in the ER just like volunteering and doing shifts in the ER. And, um, the excuse is always like, Oh, I fell on it. And you're like, how often are people falling directly onto like their anus onto something cylindrical? This is crazy. Like, why was that cucumber standing straight up? Like, that's yeah. weird.
3: We should, be past the point of, yeah, we should be past the point of judging that as a culture. No, I mean, we sure. sure.
1: we should, we should absolutely. And you know, like, obviously like you go in there and, and a lot of people are still very shy and this is uh, a PSA to everybody watching this, tell your physician everything because they're not going to tell anybody. You take a Hippocratic oath. You have like physician patient confidentiality, but also like, we're just trying to understand what happened so that we can effectively treat you. So when you start lying, bending the truth, we're not going to be as effective in our overall diagnosis and like how to subsequently treat. So I say hour, like I'm like transitioning out. I'm like, Oh yeah. Hour like, no deal. (laughs) Matt, Matt, I
0: heard your signature throat clear. I heard it as well. Better now. (laughs) What happened? Yeah. What happened? I don't know. I'm having uh, it's like technical difficulties for Matt Day. Wow, you know, we've wow. all been there. We've all been sure. there. Um, I just was curious, and and Justin, you might know a lot about this too. Um, but are do do you, there's a shortage of physicians? But do you see a a, a good number of nurses and or like um, sort of alternative medicine practitioners like? physical therapists or chiropractors or people going into those fields because I imagine it's less time mm-hmm. to learn it and potentially more money and owning your own business a lot sooner. Um, sure. And I just feel like what, like I remember being in school and then also having you know, people that I work with that are younger than me, that are in school, that are like, there's, it seems like tons of people in nursing programs versus actually going into medical school to become physicians. Is that a trend?
1: Oh, definitely. Um, you know, you see it when you start like your pre-medical science courses, you know, you, like day one of biology. That lecture hall is packed. And then after like the first midterm, suddenly you got a pretty extreme dropout rate. Like when I uh, was at Harvard, I think our attrition rate was like 50 percent um, because people, you know, there's this like mystique about medicine, right? And, um, it's not until you like get into medicine that you realize it's not as sexy as the, uh, you know, like Grey's Anatomy makes it look. Um, it's, it's tedious and it's hard and it's crazy. And it's, it's, it's hard, uh, just as a side note to people watching this on the partners as well, I would argue that the people playing supporting actor to a physician or a physician in training, uh, it's just as hard on them because they never see you. You're like, sorry, baby. Like I know you're sitting at dinner and you made these reservations for months, but I literally am stuck. I can't go anywhere. Um, So it's just hard on them. But, um, but yeah, so you see a lot of people that like either they don't make it through the prerequisites because they do throw courses in there like organic chemistry. You don't need to know organic chemistry to practice medicine, but they throw two semesters of organic chemistry in there for weeder courses. They're like, all right, like here you go. Because they got to, they got to thin the pack out because there's not that many spots. I mean, um, the medical school that, that I went to, I mean, it, it has like a, a, one of the higher acceptance rates, I guess you could say it's not, it's not like a Hopkins or something and it's acceptance rate is still like 2%. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's insane. It's saturated. Um, so a lot of those people do fall back into like the allied health professions. Um, but still because of the way that our population is, and we also have this huge, um, despite being, you know, one of the wealthiest industrialized nations in the world, we have terrible health metrics. Like we have like infant mortality rates that are on par with like developing nations in Africa. It's it's tragic. Um, and so, you know, like we we still are very short on allied health professionals too. Like there's still nurse shortages, there's still PAs, but you see the like people that usually um, they don't make it through the, the prerequisites. They filter down into the other allied health specialties or they're just like, yeah, not for me. I don't want to spend the next 10 years of my life training. So I'm going to be a PA. And then, as a physician's assistant, I don't have to carry my own malpractice insurance. I can use the malpractice of the physician that I, that I work with, and I don't have to worry about those premiums too. So a lot of it is um, a lot of it is less like time or less uh, aptitude, and more like financial and and things like that. So
3: yeah, Justin, and I have a cousin, and uh, he is now working. He's probably a year and a half into being a physician assistant, and you know, always growing up, the the vision was to be a doctor of some kind. But after consulting uh many doctors uh, they kind of gave him the advice of like yo this is uh, a quicker and cheaper route to be doing most of what you actually want to be doing
1: right it's it's true i can't tell you how many mentors of mine were like don't do it like literally mm. straight up you're like you're sitting there and you've got your little like glowy eyes and you're like oh my god i'm applying and they're like they, they don't even care they're like honey pull your application don't do it like it's not worth it and and it, it's sad but you know it's part of the game
2: I've talked about this uh, a couple of times, you know, even in, in the last couple of years that I went back to school, I was like 27 or 28, just because I, I had this why, the all important why of like, I, I have to do this. So I knew I'd figure out how to, to be a, uh, a dietitian. And, and I see all these people, they were going on and going and getting a master's degree in dietitian and then potentially getting a, a PhD in it. And, and I just realized I was like, okay, like I can keep going to more schooling to have more titles, but it's like, I just want to start helping people. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, I, I took the degree and just went right into working. And, and I think I saw, uh, to your point of, of, I saw all these people starting with this. And, and, and for me, it was like, I saw, you know, people take the biology courses, some of these prereqs, and it was like, it was too much as is where I was. But even just, I think a lot of people got into it thinking like, oh, I'm going to do this nutrition thing. Cause like food is cool. Not right. knowing that it's so science heavy, and once it's right, just like getting- chemistry
1: based. Yeah, and- we yeah.
2: took you know you take orgo and biochem and the whole nine, and you go like, man, this is really fucking hard. And of yeah. course, me coming from my background, I'm like where in high school, it was a mess. It was it was you know I knew I was going to be the same person ten years later. Just you know, hey, I'm going to be an hour early for tutoring. I'm going to stay an hour late for tutoring because I knew I had to do this. And, and if you don't have that already made up in your head, like if you're going to be a doctor. And you know, you've got to go through the war of, of 10 plus years of schooling when you get out of high school. You got to be ready for that. And I think most people, to the point of like talking about our cousin, it's like, okay, you can get a four year degree, and then in two years, you're out. You're doing your thing. You know, you can do a, 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 as a nurse, you can be a nurse in four years. You're good, right? You can do a combined program. The next thing you're out, you take your your exam, DanClex, and then you're working and you're helping yep. people. And if that's what the end goal is, you're good to be a doctor really? these days. It, it, I can see why there's not that many anymore because it's such a daunting undertaking. And it's, if you look at how many years you're actually going to live, a significant portion of that is just becoming the doctor. And then you only have a finite amount of time that you'll actually be working. You know, yeah, if you course. get out of residency and you're in there and, and you're, you know, 33, 34, 35, and of course, then, then to talk about, you know, then relationships and having a balance in life. It's a lot to 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 really think about, especially when you're young and you still want your frontal lobe to like develop fully, and you can of make course, these yeah. like great decisions. And we're asked of this at like 18. I always thought it was crazy that, especially like Americans, right? Americans don't do this thing that that uh when I backpacked in my 20s that I saw all of these like kids, you know, young adults from around the world doing. Like taking a gap year and going and seeing the world and gaining perspective outside of their circle from where they're from. I always thought this gap between, you know, high school and like uni was so important. Like so go important. lose yourself, define yourself, drop yourself in the middle of a country that you know nothing about. And of course, leave with respect, put your head down, ask questions. You know, maybe you learn a little bit of the language while you're there of like what your mom would be proud of. Hello, goodbye, please. Thank you. How are you? What's your name? <laughs> right? Right. But really go figure this shit out because at 18, like I had no idea. I don't know if Matt or Jordan had a, had a great sense, you know, or if you had a great sense of like, this is exactly where I'm going, but we're asked of that. And if you want to be a doctor, you don't really have time to waste. And me at 27, I was like, oh, if I knew now, then kind of thing, I was like, oh, for sure I'd be a doctor. But now, you know, you sit there and you think about it and you go like, well, maybe not. Maybe that wouldn't be the trajectory because I'd be this age and just getting out of school. 33, right? And I-
1: I think it's so important to drive home the point that it's okay to be fluid in the way you develop and what you want to do. You know, so many people, I think, get so myopic in this goal that they have. They're like, it's only this. I'm only going to do this. And they've been saying it since they were 17, but you're such a drastically different human. Um, which is why I'm a non-traditional student. Like I didn't go into college being like, yeah, I'm going to do medicine and science and research. You know, that was something that came way later. Um, And in my mind, like, you know, was I a little bit late to the game? Yeah, but was I prepared to undertake the responsibility of caring for human life and learning about that at that age? No, I was going and partying my face off on the weekends and would not have been prepared for that orgo test on Monday. Um, So, you know, I... I'm a big proponent of like everything in its due time. As long as you're doing your own due diligence and you're you're being insightful and you're you're listening to those pangs of like I really like this. It's okay. You're allowed to be dynamic. You're allowed to be fluid. You can be 50 and be like I just want to change my career. You know. You get one. You get one shot at this. So, you may as well enjoy it to its full capacity. You know.
0: Yeah. That goes back to that thing about not beating yourself up. You know, changing changing your mind about where you're headed is is a very hard decision to make, which. Uh, A lot of us, I think, face, you know, I have faced it in different ways. I know you guys have have faced it in in certain ways, too. Um, But (sighs) leading up to making that decision before I was really, I guess, knowledgeable about the things that I am now, I beat myself up a lot before making those decisions like I'm talking about like when I decided to close down band happy right which so Leah, if you I don't think you know this but I had an education business that lasted a bunch of years and it was a it was a sort of a big defining thing for me in my career um, and I decided to shut it down and go a different direction with with you know entrepreneurship so to speak um, but leading up to that it was I, I would lose sleep over it, I beat myself up about it and I think the lesson there is like it's don't do it haphazardly but follow your gut, and then make a very clear plan and be okay with it. Don't beat yourself up about it um, because you only live once and you want to be happy and you should not be working in a career or doing something that you know deep down is not right or that's dragging you down or forcing you to lose sleep or whatever it may be. And I, I think that's a really important um, point to drive home that I think definitely you, you touched on earlier. but
1: I mean, I can't uh, tell you how hard I vibe with that just sentiment of being like, okay, I'm doing this and it's scary and you lose sleep because in my position currently, it's something that I'm continuing to contend with because it took me so many years to get to where I am now. And to be accepted into medical school is like, it's a snowball's chance in hell in this country. You know what I mean? It's so remote of a possibility and so competitive. And I did it and I did well when I was in it. And then to be like, you know what? I think I want to abandon this degree and like go and like pursue like a, a really granted a related degree, but something upstream. It has been a mind fuck for you know lack of a better term. Sure. Um, but it's just something that you have to say, you know what? Pros and cons list, like for everybody watching, if you're stuck in in a crossroads, a pro and con list is simple as it is and as silly as it is, is probably one of the most useful tools in your belt.
0: Yeah, yeah, we, we always we, we talk about lists a lot <clears throat> on this podcast and, and you know, writing down the things that, that you love about what you're doing, the things that you wanna be doing, the, the talents you have, the, the combination of intersections of those things, um, and being honest with yourself about what you're doing now and whether that is uh, something you love or not. But yeah, I mean a pro and con list is, is a perfect example of that to help you decide and I think it also really depends on the person too. I mean, if you know yourself as a flippant person who is just always bouncing back and forth between one thing and the next, then maybe this is that's that's the behavior and it's common. But if it's truly because you know deep in your gut that the right direction is the other way, then that's a decision that only you can make, and you have to be okay with that. You know, so keep keeping an eye on time because I know um, I know we don't have too much longer. I, I want to. I want to actually bring up something that's relevant to sort of what you were saying, which is, uh, it's a question, which is, um, you know, currently your focus is, is on on oncology research. Um, Mm -hmm. is that the, the goal or, I mean, for you put yourself, you know, this is a cheesy question to ask, but whether it's five years or 10 years or whatever it may be, um, where do you want that Nobel prize? Or, or, or in what field do you see yourself every single day absolutely loving every minute of where you're not spread too thin because your hands are in a lot of different areas? If you could really carve out that perfect space, what would it be? And, and are you working towards it?
1: Oh, sure, sure. So, um oncology i i absolutely love right and it is so relevant because the rate of cancer diagnoses is is rapidly increasing and as environmental exposures become you know more and more exotic with industry and whatever um we're seeing like very strange cancers come about and things like things we don't know how to contend with so we say okay we'll hit it with chemo and cross our fingers but there's not um there's so many amazing horizons so one of the biggest things in medicine right now is um instead of doing um Cut, burn, poison is what we used to call it. That means cut, you surgically resect; burn is you burn it with um, like radiotherapy, and poison is obviously systemic chemo. But in the process, you're killing off a bunch of healthy cells, which is why you know for a lot of chemo people lose their hair and they're so sick and they can't eat and like it, the the side effects are tremendously crazy. So one of the biggest, well, two of the biggest frontiers that I see for um, not just cancer but chronic condition treatment in general. Uh, is one, teaching the immune system to actually treat the cancer, because our bodies are designed to not make tumors, despite the fact that we all, you know, at some point we'll get tumors. If you live long enough, you'll get cancer. That's just kind of how it works. Um, So right now what we're doing is we're teaching our own immune systems, hey, this is what you're looking for. This is the tumor that you're looking for. Go attack it. And, And it's been pretty effective, but the immune system is a very powerful beast. And so sometimes there are a lot of like secondary effects that come about because of that, like autoimmune things. Um, and the, the biggest one, like the end all be all of medicine is going to be genetic engineering, um, because everything, cancer, MS, Alzheimer's, it all comes down to aberrations in your DNA and mutations that, that switch in and out. And so if you can do something like locate the mutated portion of DNA, clip it out, and then supplement that portion with healthy DNA, it stops the disease because there's no longer that mutation to, to kind of like bear the pathophysiology, right? Um, so that's, that's the biggest thing. That's the next frontier. I would love to be involved in something like that. Um, obviously, genetic manipulation is a huge ethical thing. And it's really difficult to get in studies that will get passed by ethics boards because people are like, oh, well, you're stepping into weird territory here with genetic engineering. Um, so I love that. But I also have a background in biotech. So, um, you know, one of the companies I worked for for four years conducting research, we designed intraoperative sensors to help surgeons make more objective decisions when they were putting in total knee replacements. Um, and I also worked with companies that did robotics and things like that. So um, one of the things that I would love to do is just, I mean, it's like generalized as it sounds is just cowboy shit. You know, I want to like, I want to say, okay, there's a problem. I want to design miniature robots that we can inject to go and like cut up a tumor and then, you know, we can flush it out. Or um, I love robotics. I think it's absolutely fascinating. So I guess like my 10 year plan would be to be um, the chief of a department or the director of a lab that is um, doing something technologically based and whether that is something uh, surgically related. So like tumor resection or something or something that's more genetic in nature uh, I would love to kind of marry man and machine to, to make concerted effort instead of like, all right, systemic poisoning. There you go. That's the best we can do. It's not the best we can do. Um, you know, and so that's why the, the PhD that I would prospectively be going into is um, biomedical engineering um, to, to try to get into that side because I love building. I grew up working on cars, things like that. So I love working with my hands. And, um, and that's, I think, kind of what I would want to do. If I were going to win a Nobel Prize, it would be like, finding like the appropriate sequence to resect any kind of DNA or something and replace it with healthy DNA and, and stop disease in general. But then the weird thing is like, we're overpopulated. So if you stop disease, what's going to happen to the planet and our sustainability, like that's a very strange conundrum to to, to face.
2: Uh, I'm, I'm really curious. Have you done uh, like a 23 and me? Uh, do you feel, you know, cause, cause so many people, right. And then, and then like one of my favorite people, Dr. Rhonda Patrick has, uh, a program you can use that helps you, you know, helps like the lay person really understand what all of this means. And I'm really curious, uh, not this, this might be totally out of like left field kind of thing, but if you've done it or if you're curious about it, are there like a top three things you would look at first that you'd be curious about for your own, uh, mortality, immortality?
1: Right. Right. I mean, so like 23 and me, I've never done, I always wanted to, and I don't know why I don't, I see it like in target now you can buy it on the shelf um and i'm always like oh i really want to do that and then i keep pushing my cart <laughs> so I haven't Me done too.
2: It. and it goes on sale and i go oh it's 199 now it's 99 and i'm like oh shit i really want to do this but then uh we have this thing in in medicine we, we talk about often right where it's like if people have the answers like will they go do something with it or like would you right. rather just not know you know and, right. and a lot of times i talk to um people that are a little bit older and it's like you know they kind of think that like you can't really change anything like you can't really like turn your genes off and on there's no epigenetic kind of thing you can't like change what's going on within your environment so like I'd rather just not know and just kind of live without knowing
1: yeah ignorance is bliss right as they right. say um, so the, and so far as 23andMe, I would be interested to know, and I don't know what the panels give you, but like if I have Alzheimer's in the family, which is, um, which can be very hereditary, you know, things like that. But cancer is interesting. It's an interesting beast because cancer, um, development follows something that we call a multi-hit model. So it's not like you're going to get this one mutation and, oh my God, I'm going to start growing a tumor. Um, cancer is the culmination of multiple breakdowns in your internal checks and balances system. So yeah, you might have a gene that predisposes you to a particular tumor, but if you don't also have the auxiliary mutations that would set it off, you're not going to develop that cancer. Um, which is why I say if you live long enough eventually you will get cancer because you're exposed to enough mutagens, which for people watching mutagens is, um, any kind of chemical or substance or exposure that mutates your DNA. Um, if you're exposed to enough mutagens over time, that's all going to layer up and eventually like you're going to get something, you know what I mean? Um, so insofar as like the cancer stuff, if, if you guys are watching this and you're out there, it's not, I don't want you to panic and be like, Oh my God, I have this gene. Like I'm going to get this cancer. Not necessarily the case, depending upon the cancer type, um, but I'd be interested to see, like, is there, uh, like, psychological, like, you know, schizophrenia is pretty inheritable. Um, and like I said, Alzheimer's, things like that. So I would be interested to see some of that stuff. Um, but I, I always see it and I'm like, I'm going to do it this time and then I don't. <laughs> <We> <laughs> I don't know why.
2: Do, we'll all do it together.
1: Let's all do it together. We can reconvene and we can read each other our results. And, like, I'll, right. just, I'll tell you, like, how, how likely it is that you'll <laughs> develop each of these conditions.
2: We're all so, going down together. Exactly. Do you, uh, <laughs> Uh, do you guys know, do they own your data? They do.
1: I think, I think yeah, for research. Yeah. That's so, like, that's I mean, the weird that, part of it. Yeah.
3: Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you don't want big brother knowing what your genetic sequence is? Come on now.
3: I mean, enough of big brother knows what I'm doing. I mean, like I record stuff and put it on YouTube. <laughs> so I mean, to, for the, but, but, but for, uh, but for, uh, them to know me at a, uh, genetic level, I mean, and look, I'm sure there's plenty of, of, uh, conversation out there about this already but i mean that just seems like at least for me almost a step too far um at least at this moment in my life
1: You'd have to read the the language and the contract. I don't know what it says, but typically like we have, um, we collect our patients' genetic analyses at, at Cleveland Clinic. But when we extract the data, um, like for instance, I'm, I'm going to be working on a project that's looking at disparities in genetic mutations between different ethnic groups. Like why is it that some ethnic groups uh, develop these like dangerous cancers well before others or like at a, at a much higher incidence rate. So we're like, okay, well maybe it just comes down to genetic mutations and they're, and they're more susceptible and let's, let's code this. So we collect all these lab tests and it's a part of the patient's file and we can extract that. But when we do it, granted it's a part of academic medicine, not necessarily like this 23andMe private-owned company, but we do it in a, an, an anonymized fashion. So I don't know who has what. All you are is like a serial number that I can't track. It's it's not tracked to your medical record number or anything. It just says like male, this age, these are the mutations that come up. This is, you know, any of his comorbidities, et cetera. Um, and, and then you just become a part of an aggregate data. I'd be like, okay, I'm analyzing, you know, whatever male group. And you would just be like one of however many thousand. Um, but that's because... At Cleveland Clinic, we don't do nefarious things. <laughs> so, I, don't, I can't say anything for private industry, obviously, but that's what we use it for.
0: It's a valid point, Jordan, for sure. I mean, it's something yeah. that, that, that maybe, maybe a lot of people don't even think about when it comes to that. It's just like, oh, I want to know what my genetic makeup is. I want to know my background. But it, it's, I don't know, something to consider. It seems like a much larger conversation that's probably happening already.
1: Oh, definitely. Uh, well, I would, people I would did it.
2: People did it with like Ancestry.com. They wanted to know about their ancestry. So like now someone could, I'm sure there's a database from a privately owned company who wants to pay for that data for some reason and they sure. can use it however they want, right, nefariously or not. Uh, and, now, and now I think they also offer genetic testing. But even just thinking like in our lifetime, knowing that like we could write out the whole genetic sequence code of someone, I mean that in its own totally right, for too. some people was like, I don't give a shit what they take from me. I want to know because that's fascinating. Even right. just the fact that we can do that. Because, I mean, that took you know that, that took a, a real feat of science to get us to that point. And now that we can do it, you can actually say, like, the APOE, if, if, if you've got, like, a 3-3 or a 3-4 or a 4-4, if you've got the 4-4 expression, you're like, oh. And this is, like, the stuff that people talk about in this world where you're like, oh, you have a higher risk of Alzheimer's dementia. And it's like, well, maybe you want to know that. So you do certain things like, not play football because you don't want any kind of TBI. You don't want any kind of concussion brain injury because you know that now you're more, even more susceptible, just one concussion. So, I mean, look, I I think there's, there's a a gift and a curse to this one, right? It's, it's it's an extreme catch 22. And of course, course. none of us are going to tell anyone uh, ever what they should do or not to. But to Jordan's (laughs) point, yes, the big brother is always watching us, right? Whatever we're talking about now, if our opponent is near us, it's probably going to now start targeting us with 23 and me. So like, (laughs) Yeah, you know, I, I wonder uh, uh, how good we are at con- controlling. You know, not just saying like, "Oh, let's just buy that thing." Now that we have talked
0: about it at length. <laughs> now it's mean,
1: be like, hey, here's a coupon for twenty three and Me, guys." Right yeah, on like, the house.
0: I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll let you guys know if I see any ads for that coming up in the next couple of days. Cool. <laughs> no, but you know, to that point, I mean, I like Justin. You know this. I mean, I get my blood profiles done by the doctor, and I like I want to know. Though. You get yeah. a good one. You get a he, Matt gets great panels. I do. And I, we've talked about this before. I have a concierge doctor that I, that I pay for that kind of service, but that's why I pay for it because I care about longevity. I care about my health. I want to know what's going on. And, um, I'm like everybody else, or or at least I think like everybody else where at some, at some point in my mind, yeah, I'm terrified to know. And you're right. Ignorance is bliss. But at the same time, like, what if there's something going on that I need to know about right now? And if I jump on it right now, maybe I'll save my own life or, you know, whatever it may be. So
1: of course, well, I mean, preventative medicine is by and large far more effective than curative medicine,
0: right? Exactly. And that's, that's why, you know, I was talking about like the breath work, um, you know, which is part of like a sleep hygiene thing too, in some ways, like talking about sleep. Um, it, you know, it's good for the immune system. It's, it's good for lung capacity, which could be, you know, really important when there's, uh, diseases out there that are like, like, you know, this COVID-19 shit that attacks your lungs. I don't know. Anyway, we don't need to go down that road. But, um, I think, I I think that knowing, um, knowing what you're prone to probably outweighs in my mind, at least like the big brother aspect of it, because it gives you a chance at, um, being proactive with preventative measures. Um,
2: Look, the more more we know when it comes to all of this, right, it's then what you do with it, because it's like you can have all these metrics, you can have all this information. But then I think for some people, you may end up going through this paralysis by analysis. You overanalyze all this shit and you go like, I don't know what the fuck to do, so I'm going to do nothing. So, of course, I think there's there's like an even heightened point to this of like we need people who then can disseminate all of this really, 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 really esoteric information for most people. Because I, I know like I know what what I'm paying attention to what's like getting my rocks off when it comes to this kind of stuff it's super exciting I still haven't done it yet there's a couple of things I would want to know but that's because in the circles of like what I'm tapped into the you know the people are talking and so I'm I'm into that but there's probably so much that's why look I think it's awesome that like Rhonda Patrick has a, on her website has a whole like five dollar thing I think it is that like it'll disseminate all this information and like lay it out in like black and white like oh here's this. That means this, and here's what you can hopefully do about it. But I, I think yeah. it, it, of course, comes back to like you can have all this input, and then it's like, what do you do with it?
1: Well, I can't tell you how many people send me their labs or like imaging reports. Like they're like, I don't know how to read this MRI report. And um, you know, it's it's we're in this strange transition in medicine where patients are for the first time in history really taking kind of control of their own treatment modalities and like they get direct access to their labs like they get it emailed to them but the problem is is no one has taken that extra step yet to be like okay you haven't gone through 12 years of training so this is what this means this is what's of concern this is what isn't Um, and so that's kind of the next step is is making it digestible and relatable and usable right because you, like you said, like if you could have all of these red flags, but if you do nothing about it, then it's lost. You know that information is lost on on what the end was supposed to be, which is making you proactive.
2: Yeah, look yeah. exactly to your point. I think that the same thing that like we should learn how to do our taxes in high school. Yeah. Right. I feel like there's like all these things that come up like shit. I wish they would have taught me this in school. Versus, I'm trying to remember, you said maybe biochemistry is like you have to take or, 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 or right, orgo. Orgo, organic <laughs> chemistry. And you're like, they, they could have replaced that with like, you know, for, for in high school that most people go through. Hey, here's how you lead. Like, here's how you read, like basic lab work. Right. Here's what these are. Or like, here's a pamphlet. Like when you see red blood cells or white blood cells or like HNH or whatever is on there, this is what it means. These are like the ranges. If it's high or if it's low, here's what you can do to combat it. I I feel like, you know, once we start empowering people in that sense, it's like then with all this extra information, you'd actually know kind of what to do. At least you'd be nudged in the right direction and everyone
0: could use that. Of course. Yeah. I was going to say with that being said, um, there, there is a, as you guys know, there's a ton of information out there that, that is easy to digest for, for a layman, right. For people that, um, you know, maybe it's not, reading their own labs, but maybe it is learning about these different therapies or different lifestyles, um, parts of your routine that you can work in every day. Um, and you know, uh, if you were to try to do everything that people recommend to do out there, you wouldn't have time to do anything else. I mean, the shit that I see on a daily <laughs> basis, I learned something new about biohacking every day, but I, I literally can't work it in more than the things I'm already doing. But I think the lesson here is, you know, keep keep an open mind, listen, learn. The things that that you are attracted to, that make sense for you, and what you know about your family, and you know about your own health and your own routines. There's so many things you could pick one, two, or three to do. And even if it is just one, doing that one extra thing per day uh, as part of your routine is going to help you hopefully get closer to, to that age that you want to live to. Um, doing two things is great as well. If you can work in three, amazing. And just keep an open mind to it. I mean, I learn new things all the time, but it's uh, it's scary to think about. Like, I get, in, I get in these moments where, and I'll hit you up, Justin, and I'll be like, I saw this. Should I be doing this instead of this? Or should I be focusing on this instead of that? I don't know which one to do. You know? And I love that. And I love that because
2: it keeps me sharp. It's like today I grabbed something out of my, like, you know, I was making a drink just like water with some electrolytes and I pulled down like the ashwagandha and I had to like remind myself like, Oh, this is like an adaptogen and that is this. And like, now I'm thinking like I need to do like a one minute review to myself on what these things are because it's easy to fall out of practice. But like stuff like questions, like when Matt hits me up, it it, it keeps me sharpened on my toes. So keep them coming.
0: Yeah. I'm just, yeah. Well, I immerse myself in a lot of it and, um, a lot of it is just, just from a, a, you know, what can I do on a daily basis that isn't time intensive, but also is going to really help me feel good, um, not just in the moment and for that day, but, you know, that's going to set me up for success in life um, as a human being um, who's living and breathing and doesn't want ha- have to have all these factors impede on that, you know? Um, so that's how I'm thinking. And again, the lesson there is that there is so much great information out there Um that's part of the reason why we do this podcast is is to share whatever pertinent information we can. And I think today you shared a lot, Leah, that that people hopefully can take away from this, whether it is in regards to, you know, being driven um, to to go and accomplish something because maybe your situation, at home isn't ideal, so you immerse yourself in things that make you happy and keep you busy and focused. Um, Maybe, you know, they'll take away something about the science field and the medical field, and they'll be inspired to go do that. I mean, there's a lot that I think came from this conversation that hopefully you feel good about um, that I know that our listeners will take away. So uh, I'm sort of going into rap mode here, and I'm about to turn it over to Jordan. But I just want to say thank you for, one, for, for jumping on this so quickly, being available to do this, um, sharing so much, you know, being open about what you're doing in your routine and and you know the work. I think that's it's really important for people to hear. And to echo Jordan uh, and Justin's sentiments, you know, keep doing this shit because it you do have a talent in, in the way of being able to relate to people on topics that are very fucking hard to understand. And that's exactly what we're talking about. having having someone who can be the middle person between, um, the the hard data and then making it really digestible um, that is that's important so on top of the other goals um, keep keep that going because it, it it's gonna keep affecting people positively for sure you know
1: thank you guys so much I really appreciate you having me today it's um, the reason that I started, The Instagram page I did was to educate and was to inspire. So if one person of all the viewers takes something away from this, then it was time well spent. And obviously you guys are lovely as well. So
3: hell yeah. Um so I have one final question and I'm gonna take this thing home. Uh and this is I think the first question I had as soon as we started the Skype, even before hitting record. You have one book faced totally, uh, forward showing the title. I can't read it. What is it? And why is that the one that is, uh, fully exposed?
1: So, uh, I mean, it's, it's probably less exciting than do you think this is called mountains beyond mountains. Um, this is by, um, uh, an author that followed a, a guy named Dr. Paul Farmer, and he started a bunch of like altruistic, um, altruistic missions to basically help serve underserved communities all around the world. Um, So he was a guy from Harvard and he would like spend his weekends flying down to Haiti and opened up a clinic in Haiti because he, he had traveled there. I can't remember for what reason specifically and and realized that there was absolutely no medical infrastructure and people were dying from completely preventable things. Um, so he basically poured his heart and his soul and his extra time into doing that. Um, and it's it's kind of just a compendium of like his life, how he got started, what have you. And the reason that it's facing out, is because, uh, I don't know if you guys can see, but I organized my bookshelf by color and this one just has a bunch of random colors on the spine. And I was like, well, I'm not really sure where to put that. So it's just going to go right here in front of a, it looks like Keen's surgery. I also collect a lot of like really old medical texts. So this is like a really ancient surgical manual, but, um, do, I'm you, sorry have, that
2: I- do you have uh if you, if, uh, if you give a mouse a cookie,
1: no, but I do have everything awesome about yeah, dinosaurs yeah, that's what i was looking for <laughs> yes and i also have where's waldo <laughs> nice. Wonderful. Yeah. so yes. beyond beyond you know next to neuroscience and like all of these like you know dense like theoretical physics texts i also have the classics which no scholar should go without <laughs>
0: no, it keeps you sharp
1: oh my gosh yeah totally yeah. and by the way this particular if you guys are looking for a where's waldo book Shit's don't hard. buy this one Because this one asks you to find his friends and his dog as well. And I promise you, I sat down with somebody and we looked for the dog. The dog doesn't exist anywhere on these pages. And I promise it's a huge prank. And if you find the dog, please hit me up on the DMs. Please find me because I can't find the fucking dog. It's got to be a
2: thing because it just keeps you coming back.
1: Right. I've I've opened this book. Multiple times, like on the weekend, I'll just be like sitting, eating breakfast. I'm like, all right, I'm going to find that fucking dog today. And I promise you, I've sat there like this and looked at every person and it's not there. Not there. What's the name of it one more time? It's called Where's Waldo? Destination Everywhere.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. I'm going to, I accept this challenge. This is wonderful.
1: Please accept this (laughs) challenge. Like the first one, it like I haven't gone through the whole book, but like, look at the, I mean, do you guys remember this? Look at this.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah the that right looks there. like a fun yeah, time. The I'm doing
1: it. Yeah. It's terrible. And like I found, and it's like, Hey, when you found the lady Waldo, find her binoculars. I've found the binoculars. I found the tiny little Pete, like, Oh, find this broken comb. I have found it. I have not found the dog. Huh? Well,
3: this that is what, qu- this is what quarantine is, is meant for
1: it's what quarantine's meant for. Absolutely. And so, you know, sharpen your hone your skills. I, I bet because of the like cognitive visual spatial, there's probably a lot of like good, like neural kinetic feedback from doing this. There has to be some research on where's Waldo and like the capacity to bridge neural connections. Of course you would take it there. I would. And actually, uh, music, I was explaining to somebody the other day, the act of playing music is probably one of the best things for bridging new neural connectivity and staving off, which is documented, things like dementia. Because not only are you reading, but you're listening, you're also utilizing motor skills. And that bridges so many new functions and connects so many different hemispheres and aspects of your brain that it's 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 actually really, really good for dementia.
0: Yeah, I dementia. can never sit still, ever. I have to be doing 10 things at once. Yes.
1: Good. That's excellent. I wonder if that's the thing with musicians. Like, you've been seasoned for a while. You're like, okay, I have to, like, always touch and, like, listen and think and have music playing. And
0: It's drumming. Natalie thought that I, like, had a weird breathing thing going on the first, like, few dates that we went on. Um, (laughs) But I wasn't breathing weird. I was playing drums with my teeth while driving in the car, having conversations and listening, hearing songs in my head all at the same time. And she just got used to it. Now she's like, what song are you playing? You know, like I'm walking like just like, yeah, like sort of like not like loud use, like,
1: bowlers for bass. And then like you use like high trouble f- with the incisors or like
0: nobody else hears it. They just she just hears the breathing. Right. Because like it's because I'm like sort of using my face in a weird I, it's, I don't know. It's hard to explain. Point is, I can't stop moving. And like <laughs> when I play drums, even then my mind is, you know, it's, it's focused on what's happening. But it's also thinking about what I'm going to eat after the show and you know, Oh, I got to call my wife and I got to do this. I got to do that. It's like 10 things at once, but you're right. I mean that I'm so happy and all of us being musicians, um, are, are very lucky to, to have that skill because I do think that there is, uh, even more so than like the science behind it. Um, you end up being really good at, at sort of multitasking, I think too. Mm -hmm. And I, I think all of you guys are really good at that.
3: My, uh, my my psychotherapy modality is drumming and primarily group therapy, so group drumming. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's proven that uh, people who can't form new memories or, or just have issues, um, you know, with their frontal lobe, uh, for instance, um, they can learn new rhythms because it accesses uh, more primitive parts of the brain that aren't as affected. Wow, so,
1: that's fascinating.
3: Yeah, I mean, rhythm is the universal language, but it's also like the universal construct. I mean, rhythm is life. Uh, so there is infinite wisdom and power and potential in that. Uh, often we just think of rhythm as music or drumming. So that is what I've dedicated the past decade of my life to exploring and sharing. Uh, Leah, it sounds like you have a ton of uh, uh, just as worthy and interesting um, just just uh, information and, and, and just passion to share and to explore. Uh, you are one of our most interesting, enlightening guests. So I thank you for giving us you know, your time and your attention and your passion, quite frankly. It's really inspiring. Um, I fucking love that the answer to the book question had to do with color aesthetic. That <laughs> I did not expect. Yep. And um, it's amazing. YouTube.com slash chocolate croissants if you want that full tour of uh, her bookshelf. Um, (laughs) look, I think one of the, if, if someone at dinner tonight is like, yo, tell me about the, the, the guest you chatted with. Uh, I think the, one of my takeaways is like, yo, she's just doing all kinds of shit that she's interested in. And like, uh, whether it's from the, the broadcast side or the, the Instagram side or, uh, research or, uh, clinical based kind of things, um, like it's all you. And there's connections between all of them, and it's you synthesizing those connections uh, that's going to make you different and stand out among the rest, and ultimately get you closer to that Nobel Prize. So I want to say, job well done. Uh, Keep doing what you're doing. Uh, We will continue being uh, fans from the sidelines. And um, if you want to follow all her stuff, everything will be in the show notes. Uh, I don't really have much to add beyond that besides just a very sincere thank you.
1: Oh, thank you guys. Uh, really.
3: It was a pleasure. So, um, I don't know if you're on Facebook, you're welcome to join us, uh, whether you Leah or just anyone listening, facebook.com slash groups, slash That is our private Facebook group. We're nearing 2000 people, 2000 people who uh, are creative in some way and have a commitment and interest in self-improvement. Uh, that is where I spend, uh, some of my day every day and I'm better for it. And you're warmly and welcome, warmly welcome to join us there. Um, that's it, guys. What a fucking episode. I feel very uh, grateful to be a part of this, uh, to, to be very direct and honest about uh, what I am experiencing in this moment. So, Leia, Justin, Matt, thanks for being here. Uh, if you are listening in your earbuds or your speaker, thank you for being here with me. Uh, please be kind to yourself. I'm going to hit this cowbell seven times in honor of Leia going out to the world and doing her cowboy shit. And then I'm going to say a bye-bye.